Hello, everybody, and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of September 30th through October 6th. It is officially spooky month. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. Something scary here. And Ben Moreau. I was not prepared for spooky month. <laughs> did I spook you? You did. We've got a really juicy week of news for you guys, thanks to some Smash Bros. updates, uh, the end of the Smash Ballot, new Splatoon services, Hyrule Warriors characters, some whispers about Nintendo's first mobile game. It's a really, really jam-packed week, uh, so we do not have a discussion for you this week, because it's going to be just a huge amount of news, and we're also working on a very special guest appearance in uh, either next episode or the week after that, so stay tuned. In the meantime, though, let's jump in. Last week's update for Super Smash Bros. came with a surprising load of new content. In addition to the Mario Maker stage we expected, Pirate Ship returned from Brawl to Smash for Wii U, and the Wii U's Duck Hunt stage came for free to the 3DS version. We also got a slew of new Mii costumes, including a business suit, outfits based on Fox, Captain Falcon, uh, Toad, Veridi, and even Monster Hunter characters. I'm super excited that the pirate ship is back. That is probably my favorite stage from Brawl. I really like the Omega version because it puts you on one of the bomb towers, which is a great way because the pirate ship would have just been weird to, to make a completely different shape. Right. But uh, but the bomb tower looks so cool. Yeah, I haven't yeah. actually uh, tried it on Omega yet. I'm going to have to do that. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite stages actually from Brawl, and I'm really glad they brought it over. I was a little disappointed, though, at uh, the implementation of the music because... It's still missing a couple of the tracks from Brawl, and particularly the Mulgara theme. Yeah. And the tracks that they did use were just tracks that they already had in Smash 4. I think there was one new theme, wasn't there? They may have or brought back wrong? the original Great Sea or something like that, but I think that's it. That could be, I don't know. The, the Mario Maker stage did have a sort yes. of a new track, which really was just the overworld tracks from the games strung together. Oh, no, it had the Mario Maker main theme. Oh, yeah, they you're right. They remixed that. Yeah. It's really good. That's my favorite one. So so I enjoy the DLC, but but at the same time, a little disappointed in the music because music is such an important part of Smash for me. And to have yeah. so few new tracks coming with these new stages, which are actually really great, is a little disappointing. And a lot of the tracks are just recycled from other stages, even within Smash 4. So it, yeah. there's tracks I've already heard on other stages. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that sentiment. Um, I was not expecting... Honestly, I wasn't even expecting this level of effort with the music, just given seeing the Ryu stage just have three versions of each of the character's themes, um, given the past DLC just also reusing like other Smash 4 remixes, adding either nothing or just yeah. one song. Yeah, it just, it just sucks because, you know, we have a brand new stage. Yeah. We have a yeah. stage that everybody loved and that everybody loved the music for before, and it doesn't even have all of its music yeah, for sure. So with this latest run of DLC, it's kind of made me wonder, wouldn't it have been nice to have like a season pass or something for Smash? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, because at yeah. this point, it's so uneven the way they're releasing stages that I would have loved to have just paid for all the characters and stages like when they first announced that they had paid DLC. Maybe I'm pretty drop. sure I've ended up spending more money on Smash DLC than I have on actually buying Smash. Yeah, had which I, is had I not insane. bought the like GameCube controller bundle, I would have spent oh, yeah, yeah about as much <laughs> on DLC. And if you throw an amiibo, no way. Yeah, exactly. 
This is getting kind of insane. You know, I, I wonder how much of the, the content they've actually planned ahead of time versus how much they've just kind of ad-libbed when they've seen how popular it was at the beginning. So, you know, maybe they didn't expect to release this much DLC. And, yeah, but when they, they saw how going. popular it was at the beginning, they should have anticipated, well, we'll probably do more than just one more. Well, and by the time they get to DLC Pack 4, which we're at now, they should definitely be anticipating, well, we're probably going to do more than one more. Well, yeah, they, they absolutely should. But this is, uh, this is Nintendo, so... We, we should just be used to at this point them you know them seeing uh how the fans are reacting and they're taking way too long to react to themselves just like uh you know with amiibo shortages after seeing like oh you know we couldn't have guessed amiibo would have been that popular but then after the first few sold out you know yeah but this is nintendo the company that's preaching not overcharging dlc prices wildly yeah yeah i agree so you know i would have expected a much and more not only that role. but like the stages so far it's mostly been returning stages it's not even like we got with mario kart where it was pretty cheap dlc and you were getting pretty much all almost i wouldn't say pretty much all new tracks but the new tracks were really really substantially new and the value was obviously much much better well and even the old tracks are you know edited quite a bit with the new gravity mechanics and things like that yeah so I mean, this is a great subject um hopefully we can touch upon it in the future but uh we do have a super super tight episode this week so i want to make sure we can uh squeeze it all in that's super tight in the 90 sense of like really awesome right yeah like really really bad <laughs> but in the way meaning good yes um <laughs> so any last thoughts on that no okay the update also came with a balance patch that mostly affects custom moves. You can find the full list of changes at Gamnesia, but it also increased shield stun, shield hit lag, and reduced how long you're invincible when you roll. If you play Smash for fun with friends, you likely won't be affected much by any of that, but for you competitive players out there, this actually makes the game a lot more focused on aggression. Zero, the professional Smasher, even says that this may be the most significant patch to date for Smash. Yeah, honestly, even as a casual player, I've I've really noticed how aggressive play isn't as rewarded in this game as it has been in, in past Smash games. In particular, uh, up close and personal melee, you know, aggressive play, since projectiles are actually pretty powerful. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of trying this out and uh, really digging into it. Yeah, yeah, knowing this, I just kind of want to be super aggressive when I play against my friends now, because I'm kind of, mm -hmm. you know, right on the border between, you know, the casual player that likes to play with his friends and uh, yeah. the competitive player. I like to destroy my friends. So. Mm -hmm. Finally, the update made the regular form of the Battlefield stage available in four glory matches in the tourney mode. So this could be a sign that they're testing waters for adding new stage layouts to the main four glory mode. Uh, maybe Battlefield, maybe a Smashville layout. So honestly, having sort of heard this news, I would love to see them sort of bring over the Battlefield stage layout to Omega form. Because it's, it's, it's kind of fun to be able to play a more even balanced, I guess, version of each stage. But I'd love to throw in some platforms because Final Destination gets pretty boring after a while. Yeah, yeah. The Omega form has definitely been... I also didn't really like the f whole Final Destination only kind of thing. Um, but the Omega forms definitely makes that much more structured standardized play so much more fun because it's just yeah. visually diverse and that just makes it better yeah yeah exactly. I, would, I think uh battlefield would be super fun to have for competitive play but i i don't know so much about uh the you know current tiering and all that and you know what strategies people have come up with but you know it could make a difference competitively potentially and i know like for example i main samus and I am a thousand times better on Battlefield than Final Destination. Just having those three platforms just gives me so many more options. Well, competitive play includes lots of other kinds of stages. It's not just the... For Glory is, is Sakurai's online 
version of competitive play. Right. Um, but it's not, like, actually accurate to... Comp- so it, this would just be making it more like... Right, well, well, I meant with just, like, in four glory rankings, right. not like a tourney play Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, it would definitely make it more diverse because you know playing on final destination i'm sure there are a lot of people who have really high four glory ranks that you would just be completely thrown off if they threw smashville into the mix right yeah and it'd be nice to sort of break up that uh impression that sakurai really thinks competitive play is fox only no items final destination yeah because <laughs> um, it's totally not true Data miners were quick to tackle this latest Smash Bros. update, what with the ballot ending and the rumors of Shovel Knight coming. Uh, but unlike last time, when they discovered a treasure trove of data on Roy, Ryu, and Lucas, this time they found no signs of new characters. What they did find was three empty slots for future DLC fighters and either two or three slots for future stages. This means they're planning at least this much DLC in the future, and of course, more is always possible. It's you know That's not the limit they've got sort of funny how this kind of goes in line with what we were saying when the smash ballot came out about how we expected like five or six characters and then that seems to be what we're seeing uh we're seeing three well i mean after roy oh, Ryu, and lucas i see yeah oh okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um because i think we we had even kind of made this conclusion based on the the smash ballot website that looked like there were like five or six slots yeah um, i don't know if that's still gonna be true but we'll see yeah yeah well, we've already established that Nintendo listens to this podcast and takes our ideas to heart. So. Yes. <laughs> they haven't been coming through recently, though. I'm still waiting on my real Chibi Robo game, but we'll get to that soon. <laughs> I guess we'll get to that now. Um, Chibi Robo Zip Flash launches on October 9th, and if it doesn't sell well, it could be the very last game in the series. Producer Kensuke Tanabe says that he's continually tried to think of ways to make Chibi Robo a mainstream success, but it hasn't happened yet, and this might be their last chance. That said, if it does work out, both he and the assistant producer, Risa Tabata, say that they'd love to make another Chibi Robo game in its original adventure style. Yeah, this this franchise has never even come close to having a game sell a million copies, I don't think. And uh, obviously, 2D games are a lot cheaper to produce and take a lot less time than a 3D game. So, uh, well, I mean, it'll have 3D effects, but obviously it's not a full 3D chibi robo-adventure game. So uh, this is kind of like a, a low-cost investment for them. You know, they don't have to yeah. attract as many players to turn a profit as they would if they, they released a full game. But I I don't if this is the last-ditch effort to save the franchise, I don't know if it's going to work because they just they haven't really done anything to make this game stand out. Well, yeah, what they've done is they've taken this really unique, appealing game with a niche but dedicated audience and stripped it of everything that made it interesting and, and unique and and different from anything else that they offer nintendo's got a ton of duty platformers they don't need another that's not going to make this sell because people are just going to buy kirby or mario or donkey kong 3d over chibi robo um we've got plenty of better platformers that have already been out for a while and already been established on this system right and it doesn't have the name recognition of you know any of those yeah other exactly so both in terms of its its recognition and just depth to the game, you know, it feels more like an indie title than, you mm-hmm. know, a first party. Well, actually, to be real, is that's not first party, is it? It's second party. Okay. Um, yeah, but, but it, yeah. it doesn't really feel like, a, you know, a, a Nintendo game. Really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this kind of, like, leads me to wonder, has he really tried so hard? And is just not that good at this? Or is he sort of working, like, against Nintendo, kind of not really wanting them to keep pushing chibi Ro- I, I don't know, like, what's going on here. Because Park Patrol was nothing exciting or different from the original one. This game was in print for so little time. I was never able to find it, even used. Um, but from what I've heard, it's just kind of like a somewhat worse version of the original. 
The third game was pretty well received, but it was Japan only. Uh, the Wii's new play control version of the original game, which again, great game, was Japan only. PhotoFinder was obviously a super low budget experiment that nobody really could have wanted. I've never heard of anyone who heard of that game and said, this is exactly what I was waiting for. Um, and then of course, Ziplash, you know, this 2D platformer. And it's obviously made again with a low budget. So even if it turns out great, there's no convincing reason for people to buy Ziplash over any of those other platformers. Um, I mean, the Amiibo is a great move and hopefully that is gonna reap Ziplash some decent sales. But if Nintendo keeps giving these guys so little chance, so little budget to make Chibi-Robo a hit, then they need to be a lot more thoughtful and a lot more creative with these low budget games. Because right now, to be perfectly blunt, they're just not as fun as they need to be to keep the series alive. Yeah, I mean, my question is, if you really thought that the series was in trouble, why not try revitalizing the original style? <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. it seems like being a, a, an IP that sort of really only got its chance to soar on the GameCube, it never really got a proper life in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a game that's all about this small little world and interacting with, with objects and, and things like that, it, it seems like a perfect fit for like a touch interface, mm -hmm. which Nintendo has had plenty of across the last couple of generations. Uh, and, and they still haven't really, really tried to tap into that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, you made a good point uh, in a different episode uh, that Chibi-Robo kind of had like this Katamari Damacy thing going. Like, yeah. it's a very niche audience. They're really dedicated. And it's a really unique, kind of quirky, different experience. And what they need to do is double down on something like that. R yes, revitalize the adventure franchise. Iterate on what made that great and make it much better. Make it more appealing to the mainstream. But double down on that. Nail the audience down and hit it hard. You know, right. you don't just keep giving this thing an identity crisis and hope it works out at some point you know actually give it that dedicated focused push that it needs whereas instead they're stripping away all those gameplay mechanics that made it great in ziplash everything you interact with is your size anyway and it's not even mundane household objects so you can't even really tell that chibi robo is tiny which ruins the whole point of the character in the first place right nintendo has this sort of strange faith in their characters which leads them to create games for those characters that are really inappropriate for the franchise that they came from. They did this with, with uh, Zelda, I feel. They took a open-world adventure game, and they've made a bunch of really strange spin-offs that really don't have anything to do with open-world adventure. Uh, Tingle's like Rosie Rupee Land was pretty good. Well, I'm looking at, like, Link's crossbow <laughs> I know, training. I know. Uh... You know, even the way they've tackled dungeons even in Triforce Heroes. In Triforce Heroes, right. It's not there's nothing I, I mean, it technically is an adventure game. You're gonna explore dungeons. It plays kind of like a Zelda game, except for it strips out the, the big defining feature of Zelda, which is like the overworld. Mm -hmm. So the way that they approach kind of doing interesting things with their characters has has fallen flat a lot, I feel. And this is just a really, really, really startling or stark example. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sucks so bad, too, because Chibi-Robo is such this great, cute character. You know, huge, I, if they really gave this series the chance that, that it deserves, I think it could be a huge hit, especially with the more sort of casual audience. But they're just not doing that. They're not, they're not funding it. They're not publicizing it. Ziplash is the one that they seem to be pushing from a marketing standpoint. But this is, I dare to say, the one that they should push the least. Yeah. And then you look at what they're doing with a series like Pikmin, where it really hasn't been a strong mm -hmm. seller either, but they've at least been really consistent with it. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And it's even got sort of a similar flavor. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I just small don't But, you know, that's not to speak ill of Ziplash necessarily. I've actually heard, you know, some some 
people on Twitter saying like, this is actually really, you know, really fun, charming. I enjoy it. Um, but, but you know, whether or not that's true, it's just, it's not chibi robo and it's not, even if it's fun and enjoyable, it's just not, that's not what it needs to be. It needs to be unique and, and, and great and marketable and appealing. And it may find a few happy customers, but it's, it's just not what it needs to be to stand with the rest of Nintendo's stuff. Right, right. The Nintendo brand sh- really should be at its best, not just games that are different and not just games that have Nintendo characters, but games that are heads and shoulders above everything else in their category. Mm-hmm. And the original was. Right. That's that's exactly. what hurts so bad. But Tanabe also was asked what he thought about the idea of having Chibi-Robo as a playable fighter in Super Smash Bros., which I gotta say, I personally love. I've wanted that, I think, since before Brawl. Um, But he said that he would think about it if Sakurai gave him an offer. So Sakurai hasn't considered it yet. Unfortunate for Chibi-Robo fans. I do think it's odd, though, that he's not even been an assist trophy. And there's not even a playable stage. Um... Yeah, that I that... can understand. They generally give those more to playable characters. Well, I mean, we saw a Tomodachi Life stage. We saw yeah, a Wrecking Crew stage. Yeah, my point stage. is that it's, it's, it's leans more towards... Chibi-Robo hasn't been a big thing for Nintendo at all recently. Tomodachi Life has. Wrecking Crew is a retro throwback, so I understand that. That's not to say that, that they shouldn't have given it one. I'm just saying I yeah. get why there's not one. Yeah, at the very least, there should be an assist trophy... Especially when you're releasing, you know, a new game in the franchise on 3DS. Yeah. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't give it at least some representation in yeah. Smash Bros. Speaking of playable characters, Skull Kid is coming to Hyrule Warriors Legends. This information comes from Famitsu Magazine, so we unfortunately don't have any gameplay footage or a look at his new design. But uh, they say he fights with an ocarina weapon and a fairy sidekick. We don't know yet whether he'll be playable in the Wii U version like Tetra and King Daphnis are. But they did say that a new boss is coming, at least with the 3DS version phantom ganon yeah i think it's really awesome that they're adding skull kid in you know i didn't quite expect it just because you know most of the new content is wind waker themed but it's a it's a nice little addition because he's definitely a fan favorite and i know there's even like a faithful following that wants him for smash i don't know if he'd be super fitting for smash bros but i think for hyrule warriors it's a great fit yeah i'm still i'm still kind of scratching my head at him i know i said this last time i know you are and Um. i don't get it Skull Kid is like the face of Majora's Mask. How could they not include? He's I'm kind surprised of he wasn't the face in the of Majora's Mask. I don't know. He's mask. he's not the real villain. He. I mean, Majora's kind of Mask lame. is the face of Majora's Mask. Uh, but Happy Skull Mask Kid is the one who wears a much better character. Um, mm. But you know, I'll accept it. All right. Uh, it's All a right. little weird that his weapons an ocarina, though. I have yeah. a hunch that his, a lot of his attacks will also use, like, dark magic. Um, maybe even, like, summoning Stalfos yeah. or something. Yeah, summoning was what I was thinking. Um, and, you know, I think it's probably a safe bet that some of his super powerful attacks will involve, like, having the moon crashing down and taking on other Majora forms. But the Ocarina, if it's only based around the Ocarina, I would also be surprised. But I think it's going to be more about, like, that's the only item that he could really have, so you know oh i mean he could have majora's mask like i would have thought ocarina well, would have been a, yeah, a good second weapon for young link or something like that yeah you know? yeah Star Fox zero was delayed until 2016 and the co-developer platinum games explains that they wanted to delay it so they could make it feel as great as possible they give a lot of context about their history with action games and i think it's safe to say that they want to give the game a little bit more of the high octane platinum games vibe than we saw at e3 so have either of you guys really played platinum games games some not a little bit but not yeah okay because honestly based even just based on what we played at e3 i would never have known that this was a platinum games game oh neither would i 
you know it look yeah i think we all agree that you know interface aside it's it's just a Star Fox game. There's really nothing in it that required Platinum Games involvement. Um, the even the artwork and characters and the way things look and the way things are animated is very cut and dry, run of the mill Star Fox. Well, no, it's not. Not really. No, it looked very much to me like like Star Fox sixty four three D, the alternate version. I disagree, but it's not worth getting into. Yeah, <laughs> we need to save some time. But I think I think more I think Star Fox could benefit from more of an action-y sort of vibe that Platinum Games could give it. Um, you know, I think that'd be healthy for the series. I think it's a good fit. I wonder though whether that will actually work out in the end, because you know Nintendo doesn't like to tinker with their franchises too much. Um, ironically, uh, they have a weird history of that, as evidenced by our previous discussion on Chibi Robo. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. In light of that delay, though, Nintendo announced holiday release dates for a lot of games that were previously TBD. Um, Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival hits North America on November 13th and comes to Europe on the 20th. A quick side note, they also announced four new Animal Crossing Amiibo for Blathers, Celeste, Mr. Rossetti, and Kix. Mario Tennis Ultra Smash launches worldwide on November 20th, taking the place of Star Fox, and Mario & Luigi Paper Jam launches on December 3rd in Japan, uh, but we're still waiting to hear uh, release dates for the rest of the world. Sounds very much like what we thought the holiday lineup was going to be. I'm a little surprised mm-hmm. that they didn't, you know, elevate something like Xenoblade to the November slot. Not because Xenoblade is a particularly big game, because obviously Mario Tennis is a more known name. But just mm-hmm. because it doesn't feel right to not have this, like, big adventure sort of IP yeah. in that slot. Yeah, I mean, Mario Tennis is just going to be more of the same. You don't expect a spinoff as the right-before-Black Friday game. Well, this is the this is the time window where they normally have a big Mario game, a big Zelda game, and a big Pokemon game. Like One of those three, yeah. Or at least, like, Animal Crossing Well, sometimes all of them. Yeah, sometimes. Wasn't, sometimes didn't at least 2013 two. have like X and Y and 3D World? Oh, X well, and Y, y was, was October. October, but then a link between worlds and then but Mario yeah. Party. Yeah. And so those were all three on 3DS no. all within like a month. 3D World. Oh, yeah. 3D World 3D was World. on Wii U. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty big one. Uh, yeah, that's pretty important. <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's going to be weird. I'm not even going to buy Mario Tennis. Mm-hmm. So I guess this kind of gives me an opportunity to uh, invest in some non Nintendo games. Just, uh, just letting you know, Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> The Pokemon Company has filed a lawsuit against a man named Ramar Jones, who organized a Pokemon-themed party at PAX Prime. His little shindig charged an admission fee, and he advertised it on Facebook with pictures of Pikachu and Snivy in the flyers. The Pokemon Company found out and promptly sued him to the tune of a $4,000 settlement, despite the party only making $500 in ticket sales, all of which he refunded. Jones says they didn't even send him a cease and desist letter before striking and refused to give him more time to pay when he said he couldn't scrape the money together in just 45 days, uh, which is the time limit that he claims they were imposing on him. The Pokemon Company says that they never officially proposed a settlement, but Jones says this is false and they only retracted the settlement offer when he tipped off the press uh, to this story. He then sent letters to Game Informer claiming they come from the Pokemon Company, which seek $5,400 in damages, but impose no strict pay date. Um, now, Jones set up a project on GoFundMe, which has earned enough money to pay off the settlement, thanks to some caring fans, but the story still remains kind of a cluster. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to know for sure what's going on here, because obviously the Pokemon Company, they're not commenting other than just to say that they never officially proposed a settlement but outside of that they're not going to comment on an ongoing lawsuit and so all we have to go by is what jones has to say and you know he's uploaded some documents which he claims are you know email conversations between him and the pokemon company but he hasn't really 
uploaded anything that proves some of the claims he's saying, such as, you know, them them saying that he owed them $4,000 within 45 days, for example. He hasn't uploaded anything to prove that that happened. Mm -hmm. And the Pokemon Company just is being silent on the issue, essentially. And I will say, the Pokemon Company has every right to, uh, you know, to protect its IP. But if if everything Jones is saying is true, then it seems like this is, you know, excessive to file this lawsuit without Not any kind of excessive. It's like, he just used these clip art images on a flyer on Facebook. Come on. Yeah. Well, I think had this not been a party that he was charging for, and had this not been something that was associated with something that's as high profile as Pax Prime, I think this might have, you know, gone under the radar. Well, of course, but I mean, it's still, you know, he refunded all the money. I mean, they canceled the party. Like, what? Could do you really want four thousand dollars for a Facebook photo? Well, yeah. And what damages could you possibly be claiming at this point? Since it's not like he's stealing revenue from you. Um, they could be claiming damages of uh, slander, defamation of character. Oh, like yeah, base slander. You know, dragging dragging sort of their name through the mud. But if what he says is true, then what they're doing is kind of deserves that bad press. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So super excessive. He, he claims that uh, he and and uh, the lawyers from the Pokemon Company agreed on the four thousand dollar amount, and then you know he seeked the time extension, and they said no. And that they then took the offer off the table after the press started covering the story. Yeah. Whereas the Pokemon Company, they say that they never put an offer on the table to begin with. And, you know, like I said, you know, we don't we don't know yeah, for sure who's telling the truth because we don't have any uh, official documentation on it or anything. Yeah. If there were a settlement, I could imagine don't talk about this was part of the settlement. So in that case, <laughs> they're certainly within their right could to be, be countersuing. Now, this does raise an interesting paradigm that I, I realized. When companies go after ridiculous, excessive claims like this, GoFundMe and talking to the press are very viable options. And the communities are, you know, going to be supportive and, and have, you know, someone's back if a company like this is, is going at them way harder than, than they deserve. Um, I hadn't really realized this sort of, this, this nice sort of supportive crowdfunding of of unfair like 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 unfair legal action crowdfunding justice <laughs> well and we have to be be careful too because it could go both ways it could be someone crowdfunding for something that was perfectly justified you know or but, someone um, just making up a story to scam that is true. crowdfunders yeah. That is true. Yeah. So, so maybe I mean, I'll cut that from the podcast. No, I, maybe not. Maybe we, we keep it in, but just, just with the asterisk, mm -hmm. you know, be careful yeah. what you fund, right? Yeah. You know, no, it's just sure. like when you fund a game on Kickstarter and there's there's not always the uh, accountability there to make sure that you're going to get the product you fund. And if you fund someone based on a story of injustice, you should do your research because, you, you know, you don't necessarily know if that's the case, if you're getting the true story and if your money's going to a cause that you truly support. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, a good yep. distinction yep. between GoFundMe and Kickstarter is Kickstarter, the deliverable is something that is accountable to customers, whereas a GoFundMe is more, you're really just giving someone money. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, yeah. that's all there is to it. Mm -hmm. Amiibo shortages have been frequent and frustrating, as many of you routine listeners are well aware. But Nintendo took some steps to improve the situation this week. Shulk, Greninja, and Lucario Amiibo, which all used to be retailer exclusives, are now available at multiple stores, and they're being restocked. 
They're also restocking the Little Mac, Fox, and Captain Falcon amiibo, and some of them are coming in huge quantities. So it really looks like the landscape of amiibo hunting is getting significantly better. Uh, scalper prices are going way down. Like, I saw Little Mac for like $21, $22 today. People are selling off their big stockpiled hordes of amiibo. Uh, so, I mean, this is great news. Yeah, I'll throw in a cautionary note for those of you who are hoping to find Amiibo at your local retailer. Um, I went to a couple on my way home from work, and they have no evidence of a restock. So while what Colin is saying is true, and you will have an easier time finding them online, you may not find them anywhere near you. You may find them near you, though, too. You Don't may. Don't lose hope. You may. I, a and lot of people have been seeing huge... Like, there's a picture I saw of, like... Just an entire aisle of Marths. Yeah, I saw that too. And they had sh- they yeah. had like twenty shulks. It was it was yeah, insane. and like just as many falcons and even more little Max. So I got really excited and then you know disappointed <laughs> earlier. Mm. But um, <laughs> now could be my time to buy shulk online. So not going to complain too much. Yeah. The world's leading brand consultancy, Interbrand, has published an annual list of the world's top 100 strongest brands every year since 2001, and Nintendo has always been on that list, but they slipped hard in 2014, losing about 33% of their brand value, and this year, for the first time, Nintendo is nowhere to be seen in that top 100. Interbrand says Nintendo has weakened largely because they failed to keep up with consumers' changing habits, specifically pointing out how slow Nintendo's been to embrace the mobile market. But I'm sure, you know, there are a lot of other things coming into play, uh, you know, like their online infrastructures, uh, the Wii U's obvious failure. Yeah, and specifically, it was the head of Interbrand Japan who pointed to uh, Nintendo's slow rate of adapting to the mobile market. And, you know, obviously in Japan, the mobile market is just enormous compared to, you know, in, in terms of its the percentage of the market share that is mobile versus consoles in Japan. It's it's astronomical compared to in the U.S. You know, the, it, yeah. mobile games generate way more money than consoles and handhelds. So by Nintendo not entering into the mobile race to the, uh, you know, Japan interbrand guy, that's just insanity. Yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. important not to look at this as sort of an evaluation that mobile is important. And since Nintendo's not there, that's why their brand is falling. Um, if you look back at historical interbrand uh, rankings. Nintendo's strongest position was in the 2009-2010 era, around the time that Wii was plateauing, and the software sales had kind of hit their their high. Since then, they've been dropping like a rock, which shouldn't be surprising since their software popularity has been eclipsed by stuff on PlayStation, on Xbox, PC, mobile. And that's important because Nintendo used to be the undisputed king of game software, but now you have games like Minecraft, Grand Theft Auto, League of Legends, all hitting highs that Nintendo games really haven't hit. Uh, and, and those are largely apples to apples comparisons, I know, because Nintendo doesn't make games quite like those. But the difference really is that people aren't really playing Nintendo games anymore, whereas they are playing on these other platforms. Mm-hmm. And that means their brand name has weakened. Yeah, no, that's a good, very important point. You know, it's not just the mobile adaption, although I do think stuff like that will be a lot more likely to draw in a lot more mass market consumers. Um, you know, they also moves moves like those, like the success of Minecraft, Grand Theft Auto, League of Legends. Um, those really are kinds of games that Nintendo doesn't offer. And you know, when people are enjoying kinds of games like those, then, then they're not Nintendo playing Nintendo games. On that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then you know, you think about how is a brand name well known, and one of the big ways is when just you know every household has one of their products. And you look at last generation, and in the third and fourth years of the last generation, Nintendo was moving about 50 million pieces of hardware a year between Wii and DS. Whereas with uh, Wii U and 3DS, it's about 10 million a year these last couple years. So, you know, it's... They've hit about 60-something this entire generation, just to put that in perspective. Well, every household still has a Wii, it's just in their basement. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. 
Although, a mobile gaming analyst in Japan says Nintendo's first mobile game is coming soon and to expect the unexpected. Obviously, the expected would be something like Mario or Zelda, but this is all he said on the matter, so the rest is totally up for speculation. It could be a Mario or Zelda game in a style that we don't expect, like maybe, I don't know if people expect an endless runner for Mario. Um, so maybe. Uh, it could be like a Zelda shooting gallery kind of thing. Um, but it also could be a completely different IP, like Nintendogs or Brain Age or something, Rhythm Heaven, uh, that would be really well suited for mobile, but also, you know, really helped hit that casual audience with the DS and Wii. Um, and then for those same reasons that it hit the market in the first place would thrive, um, on mobile where that market has moved. Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot in the past about how, especially from the DS era, Nintendo just has a rich library of games that are already based around touch controls. So, mm -hmm. you know, they've got a lot of games that they could uh, easily transform into mobile. Or like you said, they could take uh, another game and just change it into uh, a more touch-friendly genre. I, I really don't know what to expect here if it's not going to be, you know, the typical Let's Launch with Mario. That's the name everyone knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I do think it's got to be one of their bigger names. Mm -hmm. I think it, it's not going to be probably... Chibi Robo Mobile. <laughs> God, no. Uh, I think it's a safer bet, though, that it will be one of their big names in a genre that we don't expect. Part of me thinks that if we hadn't heard that one of their big mobile plans is to increase the IP awareness, I, I would almost suspect that it's a new IP, kind of like how when they launched, you know, the NES, uh, they had Super mm -hmm. Mario Brothers, which was based on Mario Brothers, but it was, it was rapidly expanded the brand, uh, or something like Nintendogs from the DS or Wii Sports from Wii. Because um, I feel like with a something as drastically different as mobile, you really need fresh eyes, you really need a fresh approach to gameplay, and those both, I won't say they demand a fresh IP, but they are very much facilitated by a fresh IP that isn't tied to expectations. Um, that said, the fact that they are focusing on IP awareness makes me think the best case scenario is probably, like you guys were saying, taking a big name IP, but then doing something that you wouldn't have expected them to do with it. Also in this sort of services realm, Nintendo has launched an online hub for Splatoon players to check which maps are in rotation, uh, see which of your friends are currently playing, and more features through your computer or mobile device. Um, really interestingly, this service lets you sign in with your Nintendo network ID and then link your Twitter account which is one of the more obvious signs I've seen that they're starting to get the hang of online integration, uh, you know, if only just with these little baby steps. Um, but it also seems to be one of the first steps in this whole plan that they've been discussing of linking your NNID to services across all platforms, like accessing the eShop, Miiverse, etc. on, you know, your computer or your phone or your iPad. Yeah, you know, uh, we were... We're supposed to hear about Nintendo's early plans with DNA for sort of like a connected infrastructure, um, specifically the membership program in the the fall. And I know, you know, fall's not over yet, but we haven't really heard anything. But uh, we're starting to see, you know, ways that Nintendo is connecting things. So hopefully we'll hear more about their plans for just a, a connected platform where all of, you know, Nintendo's games can connect to each other and to social media and to Miiverse. Because that's something that Nintendo desperately needs is oh, just yeah. to get into the oh, year yeah. 2015 with their online infrastructure. They need to get into the year 2009 first. <laughs> well, <laughs> that honestly, wasn't even a joke. Honestly, I, I, I do kind of hope they breeze past the 2009 thing and get get right to the 2015 thing. Cause, well, cause it's, uh, it is nice. They need to understand 2009 first is what sure. I mean. It is nice to have like these browser-based services, but but honestly, with Nintendo being this sort of user experience focused company that it is, you know, we're past the point where browsers are the ideal user experience. It's it's all about native apps now, you know, native iOS apps, native Android apps, native uh I guess Windows apps. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's those those all offer 
generally a much better experience than you can find in a web browser. And so I'd love to see them embrace uh, native apps on app stores for services like this and not just uh, expect everyone to want to wanna navigate to a web page, mm-hmm. especially if they want their mobile efforts to be relevant because mobile really is moving away from, from browsers and moving more to native app experiences. I would be really surprised if their efforts stop at stuff like this and don't include something like a Miiverse app you know, sure. to put in your social media folder, like an eShop app to put in your storefront folder. It's one of those I would love to see it, and I'm I'm sure it'll happen, but I would I, I still really want to actually see it happen and not rely on this faith that we have that it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to happen before NX, honestly, right? Yeah. If yeah. it doesn't happen before NX, there's something wrong, and they really are stuck in 2009, and there's a problem. Uh, As always, to conclude the news segment of this week's show, we're bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. If you want to read more about any of the stories we discussed above or anything you hear about in the upcoming lightning round, you can check them out at gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page, you can find all these links. Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer is now available worldwide. 3D Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is now available on the 3DS eShop. Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate's free October DLC is now available. Some new weapons are available now in Splatoon. And the Super Smash Bros. Fighter Ballot is now closed. On October 8th, Club Nintendo is shutting down for Australia and New Zealand. October 9th, which is this Friday, Chibi-Robo Ziplash launches in North America and Japan, but Europe gets it in November, more than a month away. Friday also marks the next Splatfest, which pits cars against planes in North America, Squid Sushi Amiibo against Octopus Sushi in Japan, and apparently nothing for Europe. October 16th, Yoshi's Willy World launches in North America, and you can preload it now. November 13th, Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival launches in North America. And November 20th, Mario Tennis Ultra Smash launches worldwide, while Amiibo Festival launches in Europe. Then we've got a few facts from last week and reminders for you. A fan survey shows which characters Japanese gamers want for Super Smash Bros. DLC, so it's an interesting look at the other side of the world's wishes. Super Mario Maker is back on top in Japan, and it's sold over 1 million copies worldwide. Miyamoto explains why they don't want any Nintendo devs besides uh, EAD, which is now EPD, don't worry about that, uh, touching the core Mario series. Nintendo is releasing Mario-themed Hanafuda cards in Japan. The Pokemon Center is now selling official Halloween merchandise in North America, as well as official merchandise of Pokemon's butts in Japan. Because why not? Why not? They're doing some really weird stuff lately. The Slowpoke song, this this butt plush stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love it, but I, who's in charge and what are they on? They're on butts, obviously. Butts. <laughs> uh, Pokemon's official website is sharing your Halloween pictures of you know, Pokemon-themed stuff all month. Uh, There is also a template online for a bunch of Pokemon Halloween pumpkins that you can carve yourself, so you can go check that out. And someone is making a fully functional copy of Pokemon Red version in Minecraft, which is just completely blows my mind. Maybe that's why it's not on Nintendo consoles. (laughs) Yeah, think of all the in-game software piracy opportunities. (laughs) The Mewtwo Amiibo is available for pre-order on the Nintendo UK store. The Mii Fighter Amiibo pack will be exclusive to Toys R Us in the US. And a fan made an incredible custom Amiibo of Satoru Iwata as a sword fighter to auction off for charity. We've got a bunch of new information about Zelda Triforce Heroes. Nothing revolutionary, but there's a hub town, new art, and more. You can check that out all at Gamnesia.com. We've also learned that it region locks its online multiplayer. Zelda Symphony of the Goddesses will be Stephen Colbert's musical guest on The Late Show next week. We've got never-before-seen footage of Rare's cancelled Nintendo 64 game, the original Vision of Conquer. And thanks to Unseen 64, we've also got a glimpse at a cancelled Banjo-Kazooie title for the Game Boy Color, which would have featured an evil Kazooie, uh, new forms, and more. 
New Shin Megami Tensei Crossfire Emblem screenshots show off Darja, Virian, and more new characters in action. And the company that distributes Nintendo's games in Greece is dissolving their partnership. Um, I'm guessing they were offended by Kid Icarus Uprising, but <laughs> wah, wah. I guess they're too focused on the economy to, to worry about commerce. They were anticipating your terrible joke, Colin. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> So everybody, thank you so much for listening. Apologies that we couldn't have a discussion segment today. Uh, this is the end of Nintendo week for this episode, though. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions of the show. Uh, you can always look back at some of this great content and uh, relive some wonderful memories. But, you know, we've also got tons of chronicled discussions and everything that you can watch on YouTube. You can listen to older episodes on iTunes. Um, you know, there's a lot of great stuff you can check out if you want. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it. We recently just passed 30 reviews, so thank you guys so much. Uh, let's push for 40, because why not? Um, you know, 30 has gotten us to the front page when you search Nintendo, so great stuff, and thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com, and remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show, so it is a great way to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We've got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. So thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. Three, two, one. Team Boom. Rocket's blasting off again.